We continue this week with our message series, Q&A with Christ. Um, And we're looking at one of my favorite disciples. And a question he presents to Jesus about how much he was actually expected to put up with when it came to being wronged by other people, his brothers and no doubt these other disciples that he had been traveling with, Judas and John and these others, who were obviously in Peter's sight, not quite as spiritual uh, as him. And we're told how these disciples got into it uh, several times in Scripture, right? And they argued about who was, who was the greatest among them and who would sit next to Jesus and different things like that. And, it, you know, it makes me think, as I think about those disciples traveling with Jesus and some of these things they may have gotten into made me think of those long family trips when I was a kid. I don't know if you guys took those, but our family used to pile in uh, the car and take these long trips. And before long, you know, we'd be getting on each other's nerves, you know, don't touch me. Don't look at me. Mom, he's looking at me. <laughs> don't look at me. <laughs> we used to say that one all the time. Um, and get in these big fights until my dad would finally turn around and say, listen, I'm getting ready to touch everybody if you guys don't keep it down. Well, he come, Peter comes to Jesus and he's got this question about how much should I forgive? How much should I bear with these brothers of mine? And Jesus is a little more patient than my dad was and certainly that I am. So here in Matthew chapter 18 is where we're going to look and we're going to start in verse 21 and, and see what Jesus says. Because Jesus and his disciples are traveling throughout Galilee and Jesus is uh, healing people. He's teaching about the kingdom. He's just cast out a demon from a young boy. His disciples experienced that. He, he was just in the previous chapter on the Mount of Transfiguration with Moses and Elijah. And Peter's there. He sees all this. He experiences that. Jesus has just predicted his death once again. And yet, the first thing on Peter's mind, the thing that Peter's thinking about in the midst of this, is where we come to in verse 21 of Matthew chapter 18. So let me read this passage to you. Then Peter came up and said to him, Lord, how often will my brother sin against me and I forgive him? As many as seven times? Jesus said to him, I do not say to you seven times, but 77 times. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who wished to settle accounts with his servants. When he began to settle, one was brought to him who owed him 10,000 talents. And since he could not pay, his master ordered him to be sold with his wife and children and all that he had and payment to be made. So the servant fell on his knees, imploring him, have patience with me and I will pay you everything. And out of pity for him, the master of that servant released him and forgave him the debt. But when that same servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii and seizing him began to choke him, saying, pay what you owe. So his fellow servant fell down and pleaded with him, have patience with me and I will pay you. He refused and went and put him in prison until he should pay the debt. 
When his fellow servants saw what had taken place, they were greatly distressed, and they went and reported to their master all that had taken place. Then his master summoned him and said to him, You wicked servant, I forgave you all that debt because you pleaded with me. And should not you have had mercy on your fellow servant as I have had mercy on you? And in his anger, his master delivered him to the jailers until he should pay all his debt. So also my heavenly father will do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother from your heart. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for your spirit here this morning to communicate that word and apply it to our hearts and lives. May we be alert. May we listen today as you speak to each one of us. It's not an accident that we're here. It's not an accident that this encounter is in your word and that we're discussing it this morning. So, Lord, speak. And may we not be hearers only, but doers as well. In Jesus' name, amen. So throughout this whole passage and this whole chapter, actually, the verses leading up to it, Jesus is giving instruction to his disciples and his followers on how to really live the Christian life, right? In such a way that it, it looks for opportunities to serve and love one another. And here particularly, Peter brings this question about, how often do I forgive the brother that is sinning against me? And what Jesus responds with is the bigger issue, I believe, of reconciliation. See, forgiveness is about one person. Reconciliation takes more than one person. And we're going to look at that through this passage. And so Peter is asking, well, what is my part? What does God expect of me? And so for you and I this morning, you may be here, you may be struggling with this as well. You may be struggling with forgiveness, forgiving someone or being reconciled with someone. You have some hurt. You have some scars even. And so the question is, what is my part? What does God expect of me in this situation? We look at the question. You know, the series is Q&A with Christ. And what we're looking at this morning is Jesus on forgiveness and reconciliation. And we look particularly at the question from Peter. Lord, how often will my brother sin against me and I forgive him? As many as seven times? And then Jesus said to him, I do not say seven times, but 77 times. Now, I'm sure Jesus could already see the math going on in Peter's head, right? Okay, so let's see. Andrew talked behind my back at the family reunion and then at the temple that day. And John told me he talked about me at least four other times. So I'm adding it up. So 77 times, right? He's, he's trying to figure out where that line is so he can finally not forgive and that's what we do. That's our, that's our default in our flesh, right? To see how, what do you expect from me, God? And then what can I get away with? How can I not be as forgiving? You know, how can I get out of this trap of having to be forgiving and compassionate and loving? How can I get to that place where I can finally shut people out? And so Jesus chooses, as he often did, he sees Peter's question. He gives him a short answer and then he explains a little bit through this parable that he gives him to illustrate the answer. And in this parable, I believe we see a few things that are, that are not accidents that are here. And they're here for us to learn from. And so what do we see in this answer and in this parable? First thing I want us to see when we ask, what does Jesus expect of me in forgiveness? 
first of all, to desire reconciliation. To desire it. See, understanding and seeking to be rightly related to my neighbors, to my family members, to fellow believers, should be a desire that is part of who I am. Because it's who Jesus is. See, he says there at the beginning of this parable, he says, therefore, the kingdom of heaven... So Jesus is saying, this is what it's like. This is what the heart of God is like. And this is what he, how he's created us to live. The kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who wished to settle accounts with his servants. See, there was that desire to settle these accounts. And he's talking about the king, but at the end of the parable, right, he says, why didn't you do like I did? The king is giving an example and saying, you should have followed my example. So you may be here this morning, and listen, go with me through this whole thing, because I know there are some scars represented in this room, in my own life. There are some real pains and some real hurts. That, so this is not a, a pat answer, like, just get over it. No, it's not that. So let's, as we dig through this, we'll see what it really is about. And so, first of all, we say, well, why, why, should I, why should I desire reconciliation? Why should I even want that? Well, first of all, broken relationships and hurt and offenses that are not addressed and dealt with, if there's not some healthy, honest closure, it only leads to more broken relationships, right? It leads to scars and things that people in our lives later will pay for what has happened already. And there's something to learn in it for me. In every conflict, a lesson. It also allows the other person to grow and to learn. Without it, nobody learns. It's a chance for honesty, at least to desire it. We talked about reconciliation takes more than one person, but to have that desire as a follower of Christ. When we can find reconciliation, some reconciliation and forgiveness, what we're doing is breaking a cycle of pain as well. Because when we simply walk away, we miss growing, we miss learning and ultimately releasing to a certain degree. Now, this is not how the culture is today. The culture today is, is a, you've heard it said, cancel culture. If you say something wrong in today's world, you might very well get just shut down, right? Or we demand an, apologies, an apology, no questions asked. I don't care how you feel. I don't care where you're coming from. This is the new voice of, quote, unquote, tolerance, and so we have people, if you look in the news every other day, we have somebody issuing an apology all over Twitter, all over media. But what they're really doing is just trying to save their rear ends, right? They're just trying to save their jobs or their, their careers, their endorsements, their reputation. So they give an apology. But here's the thing. Most of the time it's empty, Right? An apology in and of itself doesn't change how someone thinks or what they believe or what has brought them to that place where they would even say that or do that in the first place. And so the conversation, though, comes to a screeching halt. The learning stops. There's no reconciliation or understanding or growth. We have just as much racism today as we did three years ago, even after all we have gone through as a nation even after all the slogans, all the demands, all the public shaming, because there's been no real desire for reconciliation. It's power plays 
Too often what we want, what the world wants is power. I want to be up on you. But we have an opportunity in every conflict to change attitudes, to change ignorance. But there has to be that desire to reconcile, not simply to pay back or to punish. If that was the case, we would all be in trouble. And there's that part in there where the servant says, have patience with me, right? He pleads, have patience with me from the king. And it says, out of pity, he forgave him the debt. See, it forced the king to listen and to learn about the servant's situation, have some empathy there. Imagine if the king's kids were in the room after knowing all that this servant owed and the king acts in compassion and empathy towards him. Wow, this is a great lesson. So desiring, we should pray for that. God, I want to desire reconciliation. I want to be that kind of person because that's the kind of king that you are. But unforgiveness also affects me physically and emotionally, psychologically, right? A lot of bitter, broken people walking around carrying, carrying something someone did to them in the past and hurt them and it's driving them to the grave. You've heard this say, You've heard the saying, um, unforgiveness is like drinking poison and hoping the other person dies, something like that. Dr. Karen Schwartz, director of the Mood Disorders Adult Consultation Clinic at the Johns Hopkins Hospital, she wrote this, there's an enormous physical burden to being hurt and disappointed. Chronic anger puts you into fight or flight mode, which results in numerous changes in heart rate, blood pressure, and immune response. Those changes then increase the risk of depression, heart disease, and diabetes. Forgiveness, however, calms stress levels, leading to improved health. See, it affects us physically because we weren't created to carry this. We weren't created to carry this hurt. The truth is we weren't, we weren't created to be hurt like that. So let's be straight about that. We're not, we weren't made to be hurt the way that we get hurt in this world. But also we weren't made to carry that burden with us, ourselves. And it has some real physiological um, effects on us. But here's the real number one issue that we should seek desire reconciliation. And that is because it honors Christ. It's an act of worship. It's not about that person. Scripture tells us it can hinder our worship. Matthew chapter 5, verse 23 and 24 says this, Therefore, if you are offering your gift at the altar, so if you're in church and you're singing and you're going through the motions of worship, and you remember that your brother or sister has something against you, leave your gift there in front of the altar. First, go and be reconciled to them. Then come and offer your gift. See, this shows how important it is to God that reconciliation and forgiveness is important to us. Now, stay with me through this whole thing. It's not about what someone else deserves, right? In verse 25, and since he could not repay, right? So it wasn't that he could, it's not that someone else can repay. It's not about what my rights are. It's about obedience and seeking to honor Christ even in those relationships. 
It's saying, God, I trust you more than I trust myself or my own feelings or even my hurt. But what would keep me from desiring reconciliations? Reconciliation. It's me or forgiving, right? My pride, ultimately. When I've been offended or betrayed, let's be honest, a lot of the time it's just my pride, right? I don't get what I want or my ego is hurt. But there's also fear because I've really been hurt. There are times when I'm truly treated poorly or unfairly or abusively in relationships, right? It's so difficult in, pers- in intimate relationships. We make ourselves vulnerable, right? That's part of being in, these, being in relationship. And when that vulnerability has been betrayed or resulted in hurt, I'm less likely to want to experience that again. So there's some natural fear there. And so I protect myself. And there are times for that. There are times to protect ourselves and to create boundaries. And we're going to talk about that in a moment. But it's not out of fear. It's out of faith. It's understanding that I belong to Christ. I belong. I'm seeking to honor Him with my life. And it comes through the process of struggling with this, wanting to be compassionate, wanting, desiring reconciliation, whether we can get there or not. We'll talk about that in a minute. And then sometimes it's just stubbornness, right? Like, I'm right and you're wrong, so you want to make this right, you got to come to me. But at, at the core is me. So what Jesus is communicating here is that it's not primarily about me anymore. Remember we talked about the Christian life? Once we give our hearts and lives to Christ, my life is no longer primarily about me. It's about Him and then it's about others. And so ultimately it comes down to an act of grace. When I seek to be restored with someone or restore a relationship or reconcile or forgive, it's about grace. And we love to talk about grace when we're talking about what God has shown me. But it's a little more difficult when I'm talking about showing it to someone else. So, to desire reconciliation, number one. He says that right off the bat. The king wanted this reconciliation. But it's also, number two, about it calls us to initiate reconciliation. If you go to St. Patrick's Cathedral in Dublin, Ireland today, you'll find an old, um, at the cathedral, you'll find an old door there that dates back to 1492. In the center of this door, there's a piece of it missing in a plank. There's a section cut out of that. Um, And the story behind that is, um, in 1492, there were two um, great Irish families that were fighting, the, the Ormans and the Kildaris. And they were engaged in a bitter, bloody feud between these families. And so the leader of one of the families, Blake James, who was an Ormond, and his men fled to this house. It's called the Chapter House. And the Fitzgeralds followed, wanting to fight, followed them there. And their leader, the Fitzgeralds uh, were part of the Kildari, sorry. Their leader got to the door And he realized, by the time he got to that door, he realized this fighting has gotten out of control. Family members are dying. This has been going on way too long. And so he started yelling through the the door to James to accept the truce. Let's, Let's forgive. Let's get past this. Let's stop fighting. 
And so, of course, James inside didn't trust him and refused to open the door. And so the Kadari leader hacked a hole in the door. That's what that hole is. He hacked a hole in the door and he put his arm through it. A pledge of good faith because they could have done anything to his arm, right? Well, it was enough. The door opened and the two warring factions received one another and, and had peace. And they, they have this saying now, to chant your arm in, in Ireland, that's what it is. To chant your arm. Are you willing to initiate? Are you willing to reach out? I talk about that all the time. You know, we live in a culture today where everybody's gotten in their own corner, right? And I'm right. I'm with the Christians. I'm with the, this group of people. We're over here or I'm on the right or I'm on the left and we're going to stay in our corner. Christians don't have that. We don't have that. Uh, we don't have that. I don't know what the word I'm looking for. Luxury. That's it. We don't have that luxury. God has called us to step out in this culture and be the ones who seek to bring reconciliation, seek to bring peace, seek to demonstrate the love of Christ. And that's true in our personal relationships too. Not to wait for someone else to take the first step, but that we would take the first step. In verse 24 it says, And when he, speaking of the king, began to settle. So he, he desired to settle the accounts, and he began to settle. He initiated the process. Before this passage that we've read up in chapter 18, Jesus gives a process in which to find reconciliation and forgiveness with someone who sinned against you or me. And the first step in the process is to initiate the process, to be the one who initiates. In verse 15, earlier, before the passage that we read, Jesus was talking about this a little more. He says, if your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault. Initiate it. Don't wait. Go. Because I understand the need for reconciliation, right? I desire reconciliation. I desire forgiveness and to give forgiveness. And I trust that this honors God and is the best thing for both of us. So I, so I won't let it fester or make me grow bitter. I don't know about you, but I have whole conversations in my head sometimes. If I've got something between me and someone else, if I don't get it out and start talking about it, I'll be walking down the street having an argument with myself, imagining what they're going to say. Oh, yeah? <laughs> I'll get home and I'll be so mad. And Tony's like, what is wrong with you? I'm like, yeah, I just had an argument in my head. <laughs> but see, I can't. What God has called me to do is not to harbor it like that. And I understand that I'm not waiting on another person to demonstrate or say the right thing or even come demonstrate that they're worthy of it, right? Jesus said in Luke chapter, two, chapter 6, he said, If you love those who love you, what benefit is that to you? For even sinners love those who love them. Be merciful even as your Father is merciful. The person that in your mind you would think is the worst person in the world... They, they love the people that love them. Initiate. Be, be willing. Be bold to initiate it. But not only that, but give forgiveness a chance. Give it a chance. The process. In verse 15, he says, go to your brother, let him know what he's done. And then in verse 15, he continues, then between you and him alone, tell him he's offended you 
And if he listens to you, you have gained your brother. He's saying, don't give up on peace. Don't give up on forgiveness, on reconciliation. Don't choose the path of least resistance. Give it a chance. Take that step. Step. Be honest. Be open about your perspective. Be open about your hurt. Go directly to them. Don't manipulate others or gossip so that they hear it and maybe they'll come to you because they heard from someone else that they hurt you. And some people, some people in some cases don't even know that they've offended you. In some cases. And I'm, honestly, I'm not good at this. I would rather just be like, you know what? Who cares? Let's just move on. And I just want to get past it, right? Some of that is just pride. I don't want you to know that you hurt my feelings. So I don't care. I'll just keep going. Tony calls, Tony calls it my wife. She says she wants true peace. And when I do that kind of peace where I just ignore it or just sweep it under the rug, I just walk on, it's not really true peace. There's still a war going on inside of me. And sometimes I tell her, Let's just let that go. She goes, no. <laughs> we want to make sure that we don't come here again. So we don't simply just overlook it or press it down or take the path of least resistance. There's a funny interaction in Luke chapter 6. 17. Jesus is having this type of conversation with his disciples. And he says this uh, in, in, that, in that passage. He says, so watch yourselves. If your brother or sister sins against you, rebuke them. And if they repent, forgive them. Even if they sin against you seven times in a day and seven times come back to you saying, I repent, you must forgive them. And here's the funny part. The very next line, the disciples response. The disciples, the apostles said to him, Lord, increase our faith. Because that, I can't do. Automatically, you probably hear this morning are thinking, there's people in your life, no, you just don't understand. That, I can't do. Lord, increase my faith if that's what you want me to do. And, and the truth is, a lot of the time, it's not easy. It's a struggle at times. Sometimes it's a place we have to work towards. It's a process. But we have to have the conviction and willingness to go through the process, not for their sake, not even for what I think when I try to be my own psychologist. It's not even for my own sake. It's to honor Christ. It's to honor the Lord and believe that he will protect me and even bless me. Romans twelve eighteen says, If it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Meaning take the necessary steps as far as you're concerned. Explore the possibilities. Whatever you can do, do that to make peace. But here's the thing about reconciliation. There is a responsibility of the other person. Forgiveness is something that I will pray for, I will seek for, I want to, to have, I want to get that, this off of me, I want to forgive. But for true reconciliation, it takes two parts, right? It takes the other person. It takes repentance and a recognition that hurt has been caused. There's been a wound, and it's important. Verse 29. So his fellow servant fell down and pleaded with him, have patience with me and I will pay you. See, there's an important principle here. It's not about necessarily being repaid. That's clear. It's not about getting even. That's also clear. It's not even about deserving forgiveness. 
It's about truth. Truth that I have failed. Truth that you fail. That we fail. I'm not hiding that or making excuses. It's about, it's about a path for healing and growth, right? For you and for me. But that only happens in truth. Not if we just ignore it. I hate when I hear people give apologies like this. I, I'm sorry. I apologize if that hurt your feelings. So you don't get it. Because <laughs> what you did was wrong. Whether I got my feelings hurt or not, you have to understand what you did was wrong. So you're really sorry for something else. You're sorry that I got my feelings hurt. You're not sorry about what has happened or what you did. And here's, here's, a, here's a difficult truth, but it's true nonetheless. Finally, we, we initiate it. We desire it. We initiate uh, reconciliation. We give it a chance. We come to the person. We try to struggle through the process. There's a time to move on. In verse 17, before this section again, he's talking about, he says, if you go to this person and you tell them they've offended you or or sinned against you, and then you bring other people and you bring people from the church and you all go to them and you finally let them know and they still refuse to take responsibility or to uh, admit it, he says, if he refuses to listen, in verse 17, Let him be to you as a Gentile and a tax collector. So what does that mean? Jesus' description of the consequences here is him using the modern day of the time, tax collectors and Gentiles as examples. He's talking about a group of people who are not part of the Jewish faith, right? These brothers and sisters, uh, these Jewish brothers and sisters. So in the context of their Jewish culture, he's saying, okay, so they've proven, because they're talking about brothers, so they're talking about people who claim to be Jewish, claim to be part of their community. He's saying if they, if they can't do it, then you put them out, you treat them as though they're not. That doesn't mean you hate them, that doesn't mean you're mean to them, it doesn't mean you try to get back to them. But sometimes it's necessary to remove myself or the other person I don't know how you do that. That that might be illegal. Um, Remove myself from their life. Sometimes that happens. In order to guard against being abused or hurt again, he's clear about it. They come to you and repent. There's repentance involved, and sometimes we have to adjust our lives, right? There are times when that close, intimate relationship is just not possible anymore the way that it was. What do I do then? Well, at that point, I don't seek retribution or payback. I don't harbor hate or seek to inflict pain or gossip or any of those things. I mean, we've all had people in our lives, right, who have hurt us, who have offended us, and then try to just deflect it or brush it aside or push it under the rug, whether it's pride or a hardened heart or simply an unwillingness to seek restoration. Maybe they don't have that same desire. In that case, I have to find a way forward that doesn't trap me and chain me down to hatred and unforgiveness, right? That word forgive in verse 21 um, and in verse 27 means to omit, to let go or send away. Meaning I move on from the anger, from what I'm hanging on to here, but also I move on from this relationship from the way it had been. I have to create appropriate boundaries 
I have to learn and, and hopefully get wisdom for the future. But it should be with a heavy heart. Not that I was proven, that I wasn't proven right or that they didn't ultimately agree with me, but that real peace couldn't be made because back to the beginning, I understand and desire reconciliation because I know that's the heart of God. But some brokenness remains and there are instances where things cannot be undone and boundaries have to be drawn and we move forward. Every situation is not necessarily going to end with kumbaya and we're hugging and best friends. But to a person who is possessed by Christ and understands that reconciliation and forgiveness is the message of Christ and are, are intensely part of not only my growth, but the other person's growth, and it honors the Lord, and so that's what I'm working towards, it breaks my heart. It's not easily done that I have to move on, but we have to move on one way or the other. And, but, so I desire reconciliation. I desire healing. I initiate that healing, that process. I'm brave about it, not because it's about me, but because it's about the Lord. But finally, and most importantly, and what the core and moral of this story is, finally, I must experience reconciliation myself through Christ. Verse 32, the king said, I forgave you all that debt because you pleaded with me and should not you have mercy, had mercy on your fellow servant as I had mercy on you. Listen, the key to this is that I have experienced the mercy and grace of God. It's important to know here who the players are in this parable. You have the king, who obviously is God, right? Then you have the servant, which is us. And then we have the servant's servant or, or neighbor. And the moral of this whole story is right here. You have been shown mercy. You have had your debt canceled. The holy God of the universe has reached out to you with grace and forgiveness. He's pursued you. And his example of forgiveness, restoration, grace that he's lavished on you and on me is not only the standard he has given us in our relationship with one another, but more importantly, in it, through it, is the power to live that kind of life. I can't live that kind of life on my own. The pain and hurt of offenses and things that have been done to me take over my flesh there's a few things as we examine the forgiveness of God and the reconciliation that he offers us. We see all that Christ is teaching in this parable. Because ultimately he's saying to the servant, look at my forgiveness. Look at what you've experienced through me and act accordingly. Look at a couple things as we wrap up here. First, God desires reconciliation. Remember I so said we, we should desire reconciliation. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, I can't remember what's on that sheet, but it might be on there. Um, it's, a good, it's a good passage. It says this, All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, 
Be reconciled to God. So God desires reconciliation. He's given it. Number two, God has taken the initiative in that reconciliation, in that forgiveness. He took the initiative for you and for me. Remember John 3.16 from last week? For God so loved the world that he gave. He did it all. Not me. He didn't wait on me to reconcile with him. He gave. And some of you, all of you, God is drawing you. God is whispering to you. God is, you're on a journey. Something, you know something is drawing you. It's God and his grace. He's initiating his mercy in your life. His grace, he's showing that to you. You didn't seek out God. Romans 3.11 says, none is righteous. No, not one. No one understands. No one seeks for God. Well, you might say, well, how did I get here this morning? God drew you here. God whispered to you. He whispered your name. And now he has set eternity in your heart, according to Ecclesiastes 3.11. And he has placed himself there at the center of that when I've tried to fill it with other things. John 6.44, no one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him. God is initiating a right relationship with you this morning and me. So God saw you in your hurt and your brokenness, your sin, my sin, my offense, and he did something. He reached out to you and to me through Jesus. He gave forgiveness a chance. What, what does that mean? He made it possible. He bought it that he gave his only begotten son. 1 John 2, 2 says, He is the atoning sacrifice for our sins, and not only for ours, but also for the sins of the whole world. God took care of it. The offense that we've created between us and God, He's taking care of paying the price for it. He just calls us to faith. And something I don't want us to miss in this parable as well, it just sounds like it's all about just, just mercy, and, and, it, and it is, but at the center of it is justice. We have to understand justice before we can even understand grace and mercy, right? Every wrong will be accounted for. Listen, the pain that you've experienced, maybe it's abuse, maybe it's horrific things, that will all be accounted for before God. Through Christ, or we'll pay for those things ourselves. But it's not up to us to execute final judgment. That is God's. This parable is not about overlooking injustice or abuse. It is about justice. Satisfied. God would not be a good God if he was not a just God. And he satisfied justice for my sin and for yours on the cross. Grace means he did the satisfying. I don't have to pay the debt myself. And so he paid for that on the cross. The spectacle of Jesus hanging on a cross between, between two thieves, splitting time in two, splitting the curtain in the temple. A clear demonstration of God's love and grace for you and me to reconcile our broken relationship with Him. And now He stands, having done everything to give us forgiveness and reconciliation calls us to repent and turn to him. So the servant fell on his knees, imploring him. Listen, let me encourage you this morning. God stands having reconciled, having paid the price for our offense we, that we've all committed. That's how, that's how the playing field is, is leveled, 
Some of us aren't worse than others. We're all in the same condition. And God so wanted a relationship with you and me that he sent Jesus to pay that price. He initiated it. Proverbs 28, 13. Whoever conceals their sin does not prosper, but the one who confesses and renounces them finds mercy. To find mercy, he calls us to repent. Just like in those relationships, you know, a little bit earlier, some of us were like, yeah, if they don't say they're sorry, or if they don't seek... I can't just let them off the hook. Well, how do we expect a holy, perfect, righteous, just God to act when we've offended him? To just say, whatever, it doesn't matter. Especially when he sent his son to die a cruel death for our sin. He just calls us to faith, to return from my sin and put my faith in him. And then ultimately, he gives me the power to avoid drinking that poison of unforgiveness and bitterness in my relationships with others in the world. When you know that reconciliation, the things of the world become less important, less difficult in the light of what I've been forgiven of when I understand how God sees my sin. Listen, we all need forgiveness at some point in life, right? Before God, but also in relationships. We've all... We've all done the wrong thing, said the wrong thing. Sometimes we've, we've copped up to it and said, yes, I did that. Sometimes we don't see it. But in today's world, protecting myself, my image of myself, my self-esteem is the most important thing. But in the kingdom of God, it's about considering others before myself. And ultimately, that results in freedom. Um, there's a song. I know I always reference these songs, and they're old songs. My daughter keeps telling me, you need to update your library when you quote songs in church, but sorry, that's just uh, been around a while. Um, There's this song uh, by Stephen Curtis Chapman, and the lyrics are this. There's no one more thankful to sit at the table than the one who best remembers hunger's pain. And no heart loves greater than the one that is able to recall the time when all it knew was shame. The wings of forgiveness can take us to heights never seen. But the wisest ones, they will never lose sight of where they were set free. Love set them free. I want to encourage you today. The way that all this can take place, the way that you can be different than the way the world is today, You can have long-suffering, you have patience, you can have kindness, you can have empathy and compassion. More than you ever could on your own is that you've experienced the love of God in Christ Jesus. You've come to a place where you've said, you know what, I know that I'm a sinner. And I can't make that right. But God, I trust that you sent Jesus to do that for me and I receive him by faith. And I trust you with my life and and I ask you to change me. Change me from the inside out. And he will do that thing. When you've walked through that door, he will do that changing. When you've walked through that door like I did years and years ago and I look at my life and I see what God has done, then you will be able, you will be able to live the kind of life where you can possibly desire to be reconciled. You can desire reconciliation. You can initiate reconciliation because you've experienced that in your own life. This is not a difficult story to figure out, right? The good news of Christ, and that's what Jesus is saying, that you've been forgiven. 
you and I have been restored to our creator by his grace because of his sacrifice, not because of what we've done. None of us are good enough or smart enough. He initiated it between you and me. He made forgiveness possible on the cross. And he calls us to respond respond to that. And then in turn, demonstrate grace and mercy. the the, The grace and mercy that we've been shown. It's a beautiful picture of the gospel. Let me encourage you today. I know that some of you this morning have stories that no one could even imagine of pain and hurt. First and foremost, Jesus came to carry your burdens. That you could put all your burdens on him. You don't your past does not have to define your future. Those that have hurt you in the past do not have to continue to lord over you even as some ghost in your heart or in your mind over the future. Jesus came to break every one of those chains. Now there's reality in the scars that remain. And Jesus wants to walk with you through that. He wants to bring healing and comfort in your heart and your life and give you hope and a peace that's not based on the circumstances of my life or the people that hurt me. Because people come and go in your life. More people will come and they will hurt you. And you will hurt others. I pray this morning that you will experience the love of Christ, the reconciliation with your Creator through Jesus so that you might desire reconciliation, you might be able to initiate it, and have the power um, to be free from that brokenness. Let me pray for us this morning. God, thank you for your grace and love. God, we live in a fallen world, and Lord, some of us, all of us walk with some scars. There has been pain and suffering. Lord Jesus, you said, in this life you will have trouble. And because this world, we are... We are constantly driven by what we want, what we desire, and that ends up hurting other people. We end up hurting one another, Lord God. And so you've called us to put first and foremost in our lives the desire to please you, to fix our eyes on you, to love you and experience your love. And when we correctly prioritize our lives that way with you, in the center, on the throne of our hearts, then you order all those other things. You order all those other relationships. And then we're not trying to have other people in our lives be something that they were never meant to be. They were never meant to give us um, our ultimate affirmation or identity. That was meant for you, Lord God. And so we end up being hurt in ways that we weren't meant to be hurt because We're putting all our hope and our faith in the things of this world and the people of this world. God, may we be free of that by fixing our hearts and our minds on you. Thank you for loving us. Thank you for your patience with us, Lord God, um, that you never never shut us out, but you continue to whisper our names um, to be reconciled to you. Thank you. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.